Well, hello. Um, thank you. Uh, I'm not Tommy. Um, and in case you're wondering, like, where's Tommy? Does he have a virus? No. At least I don't think. Um, Tommy, I would already been uh, scheduled to preach this Sunday. And I think Tommy was off at a songwriting retreat. And he, um, I think he just, for over precaution, came home safe and was like, you can still preach because I just want to make sure I was on planes, you know, those scary things now. Um, so today, uh-huh, today we're going to be going over... Um, this very particular passage in Luke, and we're going to kind of read this passage together. I'm going to explain kind of where it falls in the story of Jesus' life uh, and see what we can get out of it. So let's uh, read it together. So if you have your Bibles, we can go to Luke 22, and it says this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, this time that we have together to come and be in your presence and learn more about you, to learn what it means to follow you, and to just be here in community. I pray that you would guide us and strengthen us in times such as these, and that you would help us to really incorporate what you have to tell us uh, today and what you have to say to us as we move forward to be your church. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so um, I know today is weird, um, and I keep like hiding over here. Sam, let me know that I do this. It's because my glasses, the lights, I can't see anything when I'm over there. So I'm going to try to like not hide the entire time. Um, Today's a bit of a weird day. I think we all know that. If you're an extrovert like me, it's a really tough day because you just, you can't hug or shake or, you know, do anything. If you're an introvert, it's like, yes, (laughs) like finally, people don't have to talk to me and I don't have to shake their hand. Um, But I think in times such as these, it's good to kind of look at the story of Jesus to find where Jesus' life intersects to some degree with a moment that we're dealing with. And and in so many ways, Jesus never dealt with some virus that came from some bat that went to like an animal and someone ate it. Like Jesus didn't deal with that, but Jesus deals with something else. And in this moment, we can actually start to learn something from Jesus and how we should respond to moments and times where we find ourselves maybe being anxious or worried or concerned and kind of the response that comes from that. And so in this story, Jesus has just kind of uh, finished having dinner with his um, apostles We often call it uh, the Last Supper, this kind of moment where they're actually taking the Seder meal together. And Jesus is about to be arrested, and he's about to be taken and beaten and crucified. And smack dab between the two stories, there's this moment where Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and prays. And the prayer here is a really intriguing prayer because the way that Luke writes the prayer He's trying to offer up something to his readers that often in English we're going to miss. And we're going to miss it because we don't use the kind of literary style that they may have used 
uh, in the ancient Near East. And that literary style is this thing called a chiasm. It's just a really fancy word to say that there are parallels that are happening within the writing. Um, and as you can see from the, from the screen here, you'll notice that I've got kind of A, B, C, what's called B prime and A prime in green. These are the parallels of this passage. The place where Luke is actually saying, pay attention to how these two things parallel each other. And then when we get to C in the middle, we can actually say C is probably the main point, the main thing that Luke wants his readers to understand and to get from what's being said. And so if we just look at it kind of as the chiastic structure, we'll notice there's a parallel between A and A prime here at the bottom. Both the beginning and end of this passage uh, have this kind of similar phrase, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Probably the kind of bookend or another word that's used, again, to be fancy in biblical studies is an inclusio, this kind of beginning and ends that are exactly the same, is going to be paralleling the ideas on the inside. And so we get a different kind of parallel with B and B prime and that we see what Jesus does in verse 41. Jesus goes off and he bends his knees and he prays. And in verse 45, we see what the apostles do. Um, They just go to sleep because of sorrow. They find themselves in such sorrow, they fall asleep. That's their response to the situation, which is different than Jesus's response to the situation. But smack dab in the middle, we see this very important part that we're gonna get to as the main crux, what Luke wants us as the church to know or his readers to know that we can get a hold of. So we're gonna go ahead and start from the beginning. This idea of praying um, to not fall into temptation. Of course, when I was like a youth kid, I was always told the three things that were temptation, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Stay away, right? Just pray against those things. Everything else is fine, just not those three. Um, But temptation for us is a bit of a hard word to understand when it comes to this passage. Mainly because what temptation might the apostles have been going into or might be being tempted by? Like what actually are they struggling with? This is the thing that is often a bit unclear for us when we just first simply read it. But when we dive in, we recognize that the apostles knew the situation that was at hand. They knew something was amiss. In, in the flow of the story of Jesus' life, when Jesus gets the, to the Last Supper and they're having the Seder meal together, Jesus is essentially hiding. He's hiding from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have multiple times, especially if you read the gospel account of John, multiple times they had said that they were plotting to find a way to kill Jesus. And they're essentially hiding. The apostles know that they're in hiding. They're in this garden and they know something's coming. Mainly because Jesus has even said it multiple times that he is actually going to his death. And so the apostles, Jesus' initial prayer is, hey, do not fall into temptation. And what Jesus is essentially saying to his apostles uh, at this moment is, hey, do not fall back into your old ways of choosing yourself over the path that I've laid out for you. Like, like don't turn back to your own own self. Don't think about yourself first. This is the temptation you're going to have. In the moments to come, you're going to be tempted to care for yourself. Or you're going to be tempted to protect yourself. Or you're going to be tempted to do what you think is right, and that may not be the best thing. And we actually see this play out. I mean, right after this passage, we see the Pharisees and Sadducees come to arrest Jesus. 
And we have different responses from different apostles. And in one uh, gospel account, we find that one of the apostles is so afraid that as they're running away, someone grabs their cloak and they end up running away naked because they're so afraid. And other gospel accounts, we read the story of one of the apostles um, in the moment that Jesus was going to be arrested, takes out their sword and swings at one of the uh, kind of servants of the people who are arresting Jesus and cuts off his ear, which to me is like, well, you must be really bad with a sword. Like, how did you make that big of a mistake? Um, and yet Jesus' response, especially in that moment, is you've missed it. This is not what I had. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus picks up the servant's ear as the story goes and puts it back on, right? I mean, if I was the servant, I'd be real freaked out. Someone just tried to kill me. My ear's off. Now it's back on. I would have been like, I'm done. Like, <laughs> we're, we're done with this today. Um, so Jesus is, is encouraging them, do not fall into temptation. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. But the interesting thing that Luke tells us is that Jesus does this exact thing. Jesus tells his apostles to not fall into temptation, and then Jesus himself prays to not fall into temptation. And Jesus' temptation is very unique because Jesus is very unique. So Jesus, in his response, we get to this kind of B part of the chiasm. Jesus goes, he withdraws, and he kneels, and he spends time in prayer, both showing people how important prayer is, but also praying for himself as he needs it. Because what happens as the crux of this passage goes in kind of the C part of the chiasm, Jesus makes a very stark statement that we oftentimes have a hard time dealing with. Jesus says, Father, if it is what you will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, may your desire, not mine, be done. Jesus knew it was coming, Jesus knew he was going to enter in this time that we call the passion narrative. It was going to be a time of great pain and great personal sacrifice for himself. Jesus knew it was coming. And Jesus, being both fully God, as we would say theologically, being fully God and fully man, understood what it meant to be anxious and to be afraid. And Jesus says his own prayer, hey, God, if there's any other way, this is really going to suck. And if there's any other way that we can make this happen, can we do it that way? Like Jesus is being very honest and real with himself and with God and with the apostles who are near him. If there's any possible way, can we do this some other way? Because this is going to be really hard. It's going to suck. And you could do it a different way, but if you want, if you want, or this word that he he uses, which is a beautiful word, nevertheless, your will, not my will. What you want, not necessarily what I want. How, how you would have it, not how I would have it. And this is the interesting thing because we see Jesus saying this prayer and what we actually see as the response of the apostles in this kind of B prime, uh, the second to last one here, is that the, the apostles took a different approach the apostles that he had with him, even though Jesus encouraged them, hey, spend some time in prayer, pray that you won't be tempted, pray that you won't turn back to your own desires, your own will, your own way. The apostles saw no other way and they didn't just fall asleep, especially like when I was a kid, I would hear this passage and I'd be like, I guess it was really late at night. They must have been tired. 
right? Like Jesus wasn't asleep. He must have been awake. He had his coffee. The apostles, they did not, right? So maybe they're just kind of tired and they're falling asleep and uh, Jesus is upset that they, they, they just won't pray. But that's not what Luke says. Luke uses this really interesting phrase, sleeping because of sorrow. Like, they're not just asleep because they're tired. They're, they're asleep because they're overcome with the situation at hand. Like, they're overcome with being afraid. They're overcome with anxiety. They're overcome with the fear of what they know is to come. And so they literally do that thing. They're just like, not today. We'll deal with it tomorrow. I'm just going to go to sleep. And I, I've seen, like, the posters of people who have, like... <laughs> have already been like, hey, you know what? Let's just forget 2020. Let's remember 2021. Like, next year is going to be our year. This year clearly isn't, right? As if kind of like giving up on this time. Let's just kind of, let's just get through this. We'll just kind of fall asleep. We'll just kind of be done with it. And we'll, and we'll look for the next one. The, the apostles' response when, when Jesus has this extreme moment is to fall asleep in their sorrow, is to give up on the moment, to not pray. And this is in uh, in direct contrast with what Jesus does in the B section, in which he withdraws and he kneels and he prays. They withdraw and they fall asleep. This leads Jesus in, in in the prime A, this last one here, to again say, Jesus again addressed them and said, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Again, you've missed the point, apostles. This moment that is coming is not a moment of prayer or a moment of sleep. It's a moment of prayer. It's a moment in which you're going to be encouraged to choose your own way, but you need to pray that you won't choose your own way. You need to pray the same prayer of Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. It's a really wonderful phrase that Jesus gives us, especially because we as people need such an example in our own lives. Um, one of my favorite theologians that I do a lot of work with, his name is Paul Tillich. And Paul Tillich wrote this beautiful kind of hard philosophical like book in the 50s. And he called, the name of the book is The Courage to Be. And for Paul Tillich, the courage to be is no more clearly shown than in Jesus' prayer in the garden. That actually what Jesus is doing is Jesus is not not being afraid. Jesus is not not being anxious. Jesus isn't moving into his crucifixion narrative like floating, as if sometimes we kind of imagine Jesus to be just kind of floating, like I am God, don't worry, just do it, right? But actually Jesus is having the courage to do even in light of everything that's happening to him. Jesus has the courage to know what's coming and to be able to say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This for us is the kind of encouragement that we need, especially in a time such as this, where we actually see some of the craziest stuff happening, right? Like, I mean, of all the people I've surveyed, I've been like, how many of you know someone that actually has COVID-19 and I've had like one person, like know someone? And yet... When you go to um, the grocery store or you go to Walmart or you go to Sam's, no toilet paper, which is a really odd situation at hand, right? Like, 
I've, I've done a lot of reading on what this thing does to you, and the last thing it does is cause you to use the restroom a lot. Right? It makes no sense, like why you need toilet paper for the next three years in your closet, right? But then also I have some friends who are like, um, kind of own small businesses, and they're like, oh, yeah, we went to Sam's to pick up a stuff for our business, and there's no water. Like all the bottled water's gone. I'm like, yeah, that's just like Floridians. There's a crisis, buy water, <laughs> right? Hurricane, buy water. Virus, buy water? I don't know why it's our first thing that we do, right? Toilet paper, water. But we have this kind of thing psychologically that is happening that when we actually see these kind of moments, we kind of go into self-protect mode. Like we, we go into these moments where we are thinking to ourselves, okay, how do I protect myself and my family? How do I keep, how do I make sure that I have enough? How do I make sure that I have enough toilet paper, even if it means like bowling over three other people? You've all seen the videos, right, of like people stealing toilet paper out of other people's baskets, like, it feels like Black Friday for toilet paper in the oddest way, right? We, we go into this self-protection mode. How do I protect myself? How do I protect my own family? How do I make sure that we're going to be okay? When all the while, Jesus is telling us to pray this prayer, nevertheless. There's actually this really interesting psychological phenomenon that you might have noticed yourself kind of being pulled and pushed within as you watch these stories, as you, as you see toilet paper kind of flying off the shelf, you're like thinking to yourself, oh, now how do I go get my toilet paper? Like, how do I make sure I have it? Right? How do I make sure that I have enough? Like, as soon as we start seeing people kind of flock to something, we get this kind of anxiety building up in us. Okay, I've got to go do it too. I've got to make sure that I've got enough. This is a common, this is a kind of a normal psychological thing that we as people do whenever we actually see kind of this hoarding moment, we actually think to ourselves, how do we do it for ourselves? They must be doing it for a reason, so I should do it too. And yet, there is something to this idea of being the church and having the courage to be the church, even in the times when the world is telling us that we should take care of ourselves, to have the courage to be the church to actually care for others first before ourselves. This is what makes the church so radically different or what's supposed to make the church so radically different, even though we don't always do it. We actually see, I think, in church history, if you ever pay attention to like how the church has kind of moved within church history, you'll always notice that the church grows the most in the time of crisis, whether it's current day and you have, uh, if you ever look at kind of statistics on this underground church happening in China, since the church isn't really allowed to get together, you'll re- recognize that the church is kind of explosively growing in a place where they say can't have church. Or you look in kind of the past and you look at the times of the church is being persecuted and people are being killed in the church and yet the church is growing. And then we look in the States where the church is plateaued. We're safe, we're comfortable, we're okay. We don't have to say nevertheless. Because we've got everything we need. We've got our tax benefits, we've got our free worship, we've got everything that we need, we're okay. And yet, the church isn't necessarily as a whole growing in the U.S. 
If anything, we're kind of like one of the last countries who are kind of like historically kind of Christian, uh, the, the Christian religion has kind of been a part of. Uh, we're probably one of the last countries that it's kind of holding steady. If you ever look at the data, it's just kind of like we're there. We're not growing, we're not shrinking, we're just kind of there. But the places in the world that the church is growing is the places in the world that the church has to say, nevertheless. Nevertheless, I may not be able to go to church without risking my own life, but nevertheless, not my will. I may not be able to go and take care of someone else because I might not be able to take care of myself for the day, but nevertheless, I'm going to have the courage to be who I'm supposed to be in light of crisis. This is Jesus' call for us, the call to say, nevertheless, even today, in this kind of crazy kind of moment where we live in, like, I mean, as a professor at Southeastern, you know, we've had this kind of moment now where we've asked all the, all the students, uh, told them that we're going to go to, like, remote education, we're going to be doing kind of, like, classrooms via Google Hangouts and all the like um, to kind of mitigate people being together, and I have so many students who are who are understanding all these things that are happening and I, I'm getting emails from students saying like, I'm afraid. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, everything around me kind of keeps shifting and changing and moving so quick. Even though I've never seen the virus, I haven't seen it, anyone have it, like, I'm afraid because everything that's changing around me. It's the call and the moment to actually say, yeah, but nevertheless, even though all this stuff is happening, how do we be the church? And for us today, that's going to take what I'm going to call kind of a bit of a prophetic imagination. We have to have an imagination for how we can be the church in a time period where the church, where we're kind of struggling with kind of people even gathering together as the church. Because we're on one hand trying to be smart, but on the other hand, we're also trying to follow God's word. It's something that I think we're supposed to do, right? Use our brains that the Spirit has given us and actually make sure that we're doing what we should do. So, I'm going to kind of go here. If, in, if Luke is telling us the story of Jesus and telling us the story of never, nevertheless and how to be courageous, Luke also tells us in the book of Acts what the church is supposed to look like. And in the book of Acts, I know Watermark's been going through the book of Acts with Tommy, and I know we've been through this passage, but I kind of want to bring up something else about this passage here, and that Luke only ever gives us, in really New Testament, we only ever get two kind of quick, clear, concise pictures of what the church does. And so we find this in Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to kind of read it. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or just follow along on the screen. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is the picture of the church. These things, if we ask, like, what does the church do? This is what the church does. It gets together, it breaks bread, it eats meals together, it prays together, it, it tries to learn the ways of God together. And even more so, it shares everything that it has in common with each other. This is in direct kind of opposition to the way that we might want to be engaging today. 
Now, I'm definitely not encouraging you to do anything that you're not supposed to in terms of like CDC guidelines. Like, hey, I know the Bible says lay hands on people and pray, but if they're sick with COVID-19, maybe just step back and pray, (laughs) right? Uh, We still have to be smart. But how do we have the prophetic imagination to say, how do we get together and commune together even though we may not be able to be in the same physical space? How do we pray for one another in a time in which we may not be able to get together and lay hands on people and pray? How do we, especially this one, how do we share everything in common? Even when we're being told constantly to take for ourselves. Go get your own toilet paper and make sure you've got enough. How do we actually pay attention to our community to say, are we sharing everything that we have in common? Are we being the church? I've been hearing some beautiful stories from some friends of mine who have kind of shown their own way of like having this prophetic imagination as the church uh, and seeing kind of stories of, of friends who recognizing especially those who are most vulnerable, the elderly, with this kind of sickness, taking time to actually find those in their community who are elderly and saying, hey, can I go get you groceries so you don't have to go to the store? Hey, can I go take care? Can I give you some of my toilet paper? Because I've got like 16 cases now to make sure you have enough to where you don't need to go buy any. Can I share everything I have in common to make sure that our communities are taken care of in times of crisis? It's in direct opposition to what we're being told to do constantly. Take for ourselves, protect ourselves, make sure that we're okay, make sure my family's okay. And yet, nevertheless, do we have the courage to actually be the church in a time that the church is even being told, take care of yourself? It takes an imagination because we have to stay smart, right? We have to wash our hands and maybe some social distancing, like I see a lot of you are doing, right? Like splitting up, like, all right, I'm, I'm fine with you. I know you don't have sickness, but I don't know about them, right? Um, we need to be smart, and that's why we need to have this imagination. How can we be the church today? How can we follow the Acts 2 kind of church How can we take care of others? How can we pray for others? How can we still be in community with others, even in times such as this? This is praying against that temptation that Jesus talked about in the garden. We're constantly, especially in this time, going to be tempted to take care of ourselves. And yet Jesus in the garden is is saying to us, today, still saying to us, pray that you won't be tempted. Pray that you won't go back to the way in which you're always told that you should be, but rather be the way that you're supposed to be. What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of God versus what does it look like to build your own kingdom to protect yourself? So much so that this is a prayer that's actually mentioned by Jesus uh, to his apostles. So, an interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer, in, in the time that Jesus kind of gives the Lord's Prayer, the apostles had actually walked up to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray, which is a fascinating phrase for the apostles to say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. 
Because if you know anything about kind of Jewish history, what we might call a Second Temple Judaism, hello Siri, uh, Second Temple Judaism, right? The time period that the apostles were, they knew how to pray. They had prayers for everything. They literally had a prayer uh, before they got out of bed and a prayer getting into bed. They had a prayer for each meal. They had noonday prayers. They had prayers for very specific situations. They had prayers to leave their home and prayers to enter their home. They had prayers for everything. So it's very odd that the apostles would have walked up to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because they knew how. What the apostles were really asking, Jesus, what should we be praying about? What is the way to pray? What is an important prayer? What should we focus on in prayer? And Jesus gives us this beautiful, short, sweet prayer that kind of teaches us this one thing. How, what do we pray about? If we're in our own gardens of Gethsemane and we're praying not to fall into temptation, what does it look like? And so um, there's a couple points. What we're going to do for the rest of the service here, because Tommy has asked that since we're not going to be doing communion, uh, you know, the whole like breaking the bread, touching the same bread. Let's stick away from it for a minute, right? If we're not going to do communion, uh, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to do this as a community all at once, saying that this is what we are striving as a community to do together. But I want to walk through a couple points of the Lord's Prayer. So just so we have an idea, when we're praying this, what are we praying? Why did the apostles say, teach us how to pray? And so we notice with the Lord's Prayer that when when Jesus starts the Lord Prayer, the very first thing that he does is he actually uh, gives praise to God, right? Hallowed be your name. Hey, as we start praying, the first thing that we're going to recognize is how great you are, how wonderful you are. And now we're going to kind of make a few statements here. So the next one is this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is a great part to the Lord's Prayer because oftentimes we think that when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we often think that God's just going to do it all. Like, hey God, you do it. You make your will done. You, you make it happen. And yet in the Lord's Prayer, the idea here isn't that we're praying that God makes it happen, but that we participate in what God is already doing. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's not, God, you do all the work. It's, how do we participate in building your kingdom that already is in heaven? How do we make it here on earth? How do we follow your will in this means? The next part of it, which is really good for all of the toilet paper hoarders, is give us today our daily bread, right? Don't give us today our toilet paper for the next six weeks. Give us today our toilet paper for today? I don't know, that broke down real quick. Right? The idea of giving us today our daily bread is this prayer of Jesus to say, take care of us today. Let us focus on today, tomorrow, and Jesus even says this elsewhere in the Gospels, tomorrow you can take care of us tomorrow. Take care of us today. Give us today just what we need. This, is, this would have hearkened back to a lot of the Jewish people in uh, their story of the Exodus, of being in the desert and, and having God give to the Hebrew people manna, they were only supposed to take enough manna for the day. 
if they took any more of what they were supposed to take, it would, it would spoil, it would go rotten, it, it, would, it would be bad. And it was God teaching the Hebrew people, trust me for today and trust me for tomorrow. We don't have to do it ourselves. Give us today our daily bread, not bread for the next six months. Unless it's McDonald's bread. I guess that was kind of where my head went to, you know, like the bread that never goes bad because the amount of preservatives, let's not go there, right? The next part is forgive us our debts uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Give us what we need and let us give others what they need, forgiveness. Forgive us and we can forgive others. Forgive us so that we can forgive others. Later on in this passage, Jesus even makes this kind of strange statement that I wish we had time for today, but we don't. In the fact of if we don't forgive, how can we be forgiven? We have to forgive in order to be forgiven. And then finally, and thing that is going to look very familiar from where we started, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, lead us not into the temptation of choosing ourselves over the other. Lead us not into the temptation to fall back into being who, we're, who, we, who we are rather than who we're supposed to be, who God has made us to be. Lead us away from that temptation and deliver us from going back. If we can just do this, if we can pray that prayer that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning how do I engage with your will? If we just pray that prayer of saying, give us today our daily bread, help us to learn to trust you for today. So when I see the people on the news hoarding food and hoarding stuff, I'm thinking to myself, how can I give it away versus how can I take for myself? How do we, how do we forgive? Lead us not into the temptation to always kind of go back to ourselves. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're going to say this prayer together. We're going to take some time and we're going to pray this prayer together, but then we're going to have a few moments of prayer and contemplation uh, as a church community. How do we pray this prayer as a community and how do we be led away from temptation? How do we pray that we don't fall into the temptation of choosing ourselves yet again? And so we're going to, we're going to pray together. We're going to say it together. We're going to spend a few minutes in prayer, uh, whether it's silently or if you want to do it with your family, however you want to do it. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to have one more song. So if you would, join with me as we say this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the